don't know how many times, a bunch. I love, I've said this, I love this time of year. And one of the, one of the things that makes the time a little bit sweeter each year are Christmas creations. Um, Christmas creations are those things that people make. Uh, you might make them. People make to make this time of year just a little bit sweeter. It might be a Christmas ornament to hang on the tree. It might be a wreath to hang on the door. It might be a sign that you put up on the wall. It might be a table, um, place, thing, whatever you might call those. It might be a candle holder. It might be bows. It might be any number of things that you might create, that people create, um, to make this time of year just a little bit prettier and sweeter. A couple weeks ago, uh, Tara and I were down in Houston for some doctor's appointments, and um, I said, hey, baby, let's go to Taste of Texas for lunch. You know, hey, we're about to spend a whole lot of money this time of year, and with uh, this stuff that's ahead of us, we might as well start now. So let's, let's go to Taste of Texas for lunch. And if you haven't been during the Christmas holidays, it's absolutely stunning. It's just beautiful. All of the Christmas creations that are there, the garland and the lights is amazing. The houses that they have set up with the little lights, the, um, what do you call them, the nutcrackers, big and tall all over the place, the paintings of Santa Claus and the like, the embroidery work. You go into one of the rooms and it's just embroidery stuff that people have made, and it's stunning, and it's beautiful. It's those kinds of things that bring a smile to our face, maybe stir up nostalgia within us as we think back to years gone by. Some of it makes us go, wow, Christmas creations. As I've been thinking about that and really been thinking about this sermon and the next two, next Sunday morning, the 24th, and then our Christmas Eve service, I've been pondering, well, that's cool, and those things are beautiful, and I like them. Things that we create to, to make this time of year more beautiful and special. But are there some things that Christmas itself creates? Or to say it a better way, are there some things that God, through Christmas, which is the celebration of God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Are there some things that Christmas, that God, through Christmas, creates Himself in the hearts of His people that are beautiful and wonderful? I believe there are. I've come up with a number of them. I want to share three of them with you this morning, a few more next Sunday morning, and a couple or a few more next Sunday evening. Things that Christmas creates in the hearts of his people who believe. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to jump around a little bit this morning, but not a ton. I think one thing that Christmas creates, that God creates through Christmas, is joy. It's joy. Sadly, our world and our lives can sometimes tip towards sadness and sorrow. 
certainly if we watch the news, read the paper, the hurricanes, the fires, the earthquakes, the racial tension and confusion, the poisonous politics that seems to be all over the news these days, can tip towards sadness and sorrow. And certainly as we think about the struggles of our own lives, whether it's a disease or broken relationships with family members or friends or Maybe it's job, joblessness or whatever it might be. Um, we live in a broken world, and because of the brokenness, because of sin, and just because of the mess that life can sometimes be, sorrow and sadness can sometimes rule the day, and it can be for some exacerbated even at a time like Christmas. I think one of the incredible things about Christmas is that it can and does create a deep joy in the hearts of God's people who believe. In Luke, the Gospel of Luke opens up in chapter 1, the story of Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. And they are old, but they are barren. But God is going to give them a child, and they're going to bear John the Baptist, who will be the forerunner to Jesus. And God, through his messenger angel Gabriel, announced this to Zacharias, and eventually God made good on his promise. And sure enough, Elizabeth became pregnant with John. Around that same time, or a little bit later, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, this young virgin girl, and said, You too are going to bear a child. It will be different. This baby will be born, if you will, of the Holy Spirit in your womb. But God as well made good on his word. And miraculously, Mary became pregnant. And Elizabeth showed up. She's pregnant with John. And Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And these two ladies came together. And in Luke chapter 1, Verse 39, now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. This is the baby, John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's womb. When she heard Mary's greeting, leaped, and Elizabeth's Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. This is a a miracle, no doubt. But here is little John in Elizabeth's belly. And at the voice of Mary, the mother of Jesus, this baby miraculously leaps in her womb for joy. Mary is so taken aback by what God is doing in her life. And at these words that she hears from Elizabeth... And she responds in verse 45, or as as Elizabeth continued, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, 
And this is Mary's Magnificat. It's her famous song of praise to God. And she says, my soul exalts, exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So little John leaps for joy at Christmas. Mary, at what God is doing through her, a miraculous conception, exalts in the Lord and rejoices at God her Savior. And then, of course, in chapter 2, when the shepherds are watching their fields, their flocks by night, and the angels appear over in chapter 2, and in verse 10, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. John leaps for joy. Mary rejoices in God her Savior. The angel proclaims to the shepherds, I have good news of great joy. What is joy? You have to forgive me because I quote him all the time, but I love him, John Piper. And he's the best place to go for things like joy. He defines it this way, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul, produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. It's a good feeling in the soul. Joy is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's, and, it's, and it's an emotion in the soul. It's deep down. It shows itself in the body, maybe by a quivering stomach, or maybe by tears that would come down your eyes, or maybe even a smile on your face. But the emotion itself is a good feeling in one's soul. And it's produced by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And the Spirit causes us to see, as He, the Spirit, causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world and in the Word. Or in the Word and in the world. Joy. This deep emotion, this, this good feeling in the soul. Now, where does it come from? The angel, at least, here connects it in verse 11. I bring you good news of great joy, for today in the city of David there's been born for you a Savior. The angel connects the joy for the peoples of the world to the birth of a Savior. And this is just like the great creeds, the great Christian creeds would teach us. They often read like this, particularly the Nicene Creed. Who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven. When spelling out who Jesus Christ is, 
And when they come to the incarnation, when the eternal Son of God left heaven's glory and came down, they add the phrase, for us and for our salvation. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior for us and for our salvation. This is why we sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Or hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim. Christ is born in Bethlehem. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, the Apostle Peter, writing to a group of suffering Christians, experiencing great trial. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And though you do not see him, or I'm sorry, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, I love this, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Christmas creates joy in the hearts of those who believe. Because beyond the trees and the lights and the presence of all of that, we remember what Christmas is all about. That God has sent His Son to be a Savior for the world. And that through Him comes the forgiveness of sins. And while disease may be difficult and joblessness may be hard and broken relationships hurt, There, there can be a deep sense of joy as we ponder the love of God in Christmas, the goodness of God in Christmas. Christmas screams to those who believe, you are loved. You're not alone. Emmanuel, God is with us. Good reasons for joy. Secondly, I think, Christmas creates wonder. If you don't watch out, if I don't watch out, our lives can get infected with just an indifference to life in general and even to Christmas. We can kind of get mad this time of year because of all the craziness that it foists upon us. And more than indifferent, maybe we just want to, boy, I can't wait till this season is over with. But I don't want you to feel indifferent this time of year. I want you and me, by the grace of God through His Spirit, to experience a sense of wonder. Let's see if I can show you maybe what I mean. I think I'm... I'm 
I'm digging a little bit here. I'm not exactly sure if it's in this verse. You can be the judge. I'm not convinced, but I think the idea is true anyway. In verse 10, the angel appears and makes the announcement to these shepherds. In verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So the angels are out there watching their sheep. And this one angel appears and says, Hey, I bring you good news of great joy, Savior, Christ the Lord. And then a multitude of angels appear. Glory to God in highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven... The shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened. The thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. So just as the angels had said, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Just as the angel had said, so they found it. Verse 17. When they had seen this, they made known to them the statement which had been told them about this child. Now we're about to see the them included Joseph, Mary, and then some others. But maybe Joseph said, hey guys, what, what are y'all doing here? It's kind of odd that some shepherds would show up. Well, let us tell you what we just saw and what we just heard. An angel appeared to us and said that he had good news of great joy, which would be for all the people. That a Savior has been born who is Christ, the Messiah, the appointed one that, that all of God's people for the centuries has been looking for. The angels told us a Savior, Christ, the Lord that's a word that's only used of God all throughout the Old Testament. When, when the angels said that this baby is, is not only a Savior and not only the, the anointed Messiah, the Christ, but the Lord is a big deal. Verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. One commentator described it as surprise when met with an encounter with God's actions or revelation. We see it in 121, and the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. We see it in 163, he asked for a tablet. Zacharias did, wrote his following. His name is John. And they were all astonished. They were all wondered. They were all amazed. You see it again in 233. His father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Another definition of wonder is a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. Here's what I want to say about it. 
What is Christmas? It's the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's push a little further, though. It seems to me it, it begins in what Fred Sanders calls in his book, The Deep Things of God, the happy land of the Trinity. We believe that there is one God who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that this great and awesome triune God has always existed and always will. And that before creation and thus before all time, Father, Son, and Spirit were in perfect unity and harmony and love and delight in one another in the happy land of the Trinity. And then it moves from the happy land of the Trinity to their plan for the ages. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in perfect unity and love and delight in one another, in a desire to share that love with others, created the world, created us, and in the mystery of all of their sovereign purposes that would allow sin, devised a plan whereby they would save a people for themselves. For the people's eternal good and the absolute praise of the glory of the grace of God forevermore. And the plan was that the eternal Son of God would leave heaven's glory, take to himself humanity for us and for our salvation. And so Christmas begins in the happy land of the Trinity. It moves then to the eternal plan of God for the ages. And from there it then moves to the incarnation. That act whereby the eternal Son of God takes to himself humanity in the virgin womb of his mother Mary. Now to illustrate this, I brought along a little something. Um, I get up early in the morning, come down the stairs, first thing I do is click on the light that, boom, lights up our Christmas tree. And I go and make some coffee and then I sit down right across from the Christmas tree with my Bible and read and pray. And just the other morning, I got to looking at our Christmas tree, which I love, and looking at some of the ornaments that are on it. And then in the midst of it, got struck by something. I want to show you some of the ornaments that are on our tree. All right? Number one to show you is Santa Claus. All right? Some of y'all can see that he's holding some bottles in his hand. No, that's not beer. All right, that's Coca-Cola. Um, we got a handful of Santa Claus uh, ornaments on our tree, and uh, we like Santa Claus. He's fun, all right? I like the reds. I love um, some Santa Clauses you look at and you go, well, that's not very impressive, but others of them, it's just a real richness to what they've done. Um, the colors that are used and the expressions on his face that for me sometimes... It, a sense of strength, but also I love it when there's a real kindness in Santa Claus's eyes. 
And so here he's offering some Coca-Cola, all right? You want some Coca-Cola? Santa Claus. That's one. You'll like this one. My girls do. This one is Three Snowmen that play some music, all right? And we enjoy that one, and snowmen are lots of fun. Um, we, we like to watch Frosty the Snowman, all right? And Olaf, we get a kick out of Olaf from Frozen. And we have a handful of snowmen that are hanging on our tree, and this is, this is one of them. I like this one. This one right here is 17, just over 17 years old. And when Tara and I got married in September, September 30th of 2000, we then went to Canada for our um, honeymoon and stayed at Fairmont Hot Springs just south of Banff. And we picked up a Christmas ornament. It's been hanging on our tree now for the last 17 years. And uh, it's really pretty, and we enjoy that one. This one is even older than that. This one right here is a sled made out of popsicle sticks. And on it, it says Mitchell, 1980. I was born in 1973, so I was seven years old when apparently I made this. All right, it looks pretty good. I'm not so sure I did make it. But um, this hung on my tree growing up in Plano for a long, long time. And then somewhere along the way, my mama passed it along to us. And now it hangs on our tree uh, every year. So this one is, uh, goes back a long way. Santa Claus and Frosty the Snowman and Canada and Sled. And then there's this one. which is a manger scene. And on the back here, um, Mitch, January of 99. So it was given to me quite some time ago. As, as I sat there and was just kind of looking at the ornaments and thinking about them, this one's different, isn't it? It's staggeringly different. When you think about, well, what is it? And what does it mean? Well, this is Santa Claus. And, you know, he's the guy at the North Pole who, who's naughty and nice and brings the gifts through the chimney. It's fun. Okay, good. And this is, this is snowmen. And, and they're, they're horn players. And that's really cool. But snowmen, you know, how great was it a couple weeks ago? The girls actually got to make a snowman here in Katy. Um, and this one's Canada, and it's cool, and it, it brings back a wonderful memory, and this one's really neat. It's a long, but it's a sled, but what is this? What does this represent? It's completely different. It represents the love of God. It represents an eternal God and ancient promises, and a seed who would come to crush a serpent's head. This one and this one alone is really what Christmas is about. And it's amazing. I hope you have some time this Christmas season.
I say it almost every year, if not every year, to just slow down and think about it all. Just who was that fetus in the womb? Who was that baby lying in the manger? Who was that boy in the temple? Who was that man walking on the water? Who was that Savior hanging on a cross? Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Christ by highest heaven adored. The angels proclaim his praise. Christ, the everlasting Lord, he's always been and he always will be. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. God becomes flesh. One of my favorite songs this time of year is Andrew Peterson's Labor of Love. It's a story about Mary and her labor of love. And in it has a phrase about Joseph. So he held her, so Joseph held her, and he prayed. He's, he's scared to death, right? There's his young wife and all that they, not even wife yet, and all that they had been through. So he held her and he prayed. Shafts of moonlight on his face. But the baby in her womb, he was the maker of the moon. He was the author of the faith that can make a mountain, the mountains move. The baby in her womb was the maker of the moon. Not one of us can say that of our children. Yep. The baby inside my wife's belly made the moon. Christmas is something else. I hope you and I won't be indifferent to it this year. But we'll absolutely be awestruck with the greatness and the glory and the goodness of our God, who is Emmanuel. God with us. Finally, Christmas creates generosity. We live in a, in a culture of greed, a culture of me, 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 a culture of desire for more and bigger and better and newer and faster and cooler and all of that. And, but Christmas has a tremendous tradition to it of generosity. And it's like, it's like Christmas is in a fight with itself, you know? On the one hand, it's gifts. Yay, what am I going to get? On the other hand, is this incredible tradition of generosity, of gift giving. And that gift giving comes from at least maybe a couple of things. The wise men in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, these men from the east who followed the directions they received from this star. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary as mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. 
And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So at this very first Christmas, the wise men come and they give gifts to Jesus. That, that apparently is, is part of this tradition that has marked Christmas for so long. Of course, the greatest Christmas gift giver ever it was God himself in three, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Christmas, the Jesus Christ, the coming of the son of God into the world for us and for our salvation is a gift that we didn't deserve at all. It harkens back to 700 years before Jesus was born in Isaiah chapter 9. These ancient prophecies. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given. Will be given. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The Apostle Paul would say the wage of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this, this tradition of giving gifts to friends and family alike is birthed out of this amazing generosity of God to his people. And in the Bible... The fact that God gave his son has created this, this tradition of gift giving, of generosity at Christmas is, is good. But it goes beyond that in 2 Corinthians 9 to not just at Christmas time, but at any time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, you don't have to turn there, but, but Paul is urging upon the Corinthians to make good on a commitment they had to be financially generous to the suffering church in Jerusalem. And he's encouraging them to make good on their commitment. And here's what he said. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. So Paul is pumping them up. You abound in faith and utterance and knowledge and earnestness and love. See that you abound in this gracious work also, the gracious work of, of helping the Jerusalem church. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. And then he said this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, think Christ by highest heaven adored, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Think the incarnation. He becomes one of us. The eternal son of God now becomes. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
Paul is urging God's people to be generous. And he urges them to think upon Christ, who though he was rich, yet became poor. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. Have you become rich through Jesus? You bet. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Paul said. We've become rich. Think upon Christ and be generous. This one is tough because this one so gets it, it, at the soul of, of money and of possessions and, and the like and Last week, y'all know all throughout Harvey, um, Mariner's Church in Irvine, California has just been over-the-top generous to us in financial gifts that they have given to our Harvey Relief, to missions teams that they have sent, um, the connection there at, at, at Mariner's Church. Matt mentioned these gift cards. What he didn't mention was $6,000 worth of gift cards to be given out to people in our community. They've been over-the-top generous, and they've been good friends throughout this whole thing. Well, I got online at their, uh, their website the other day just to see one of their Christmas services. This is a place that has lots of resources, and I just wanted to see how big of a deal it was, and it's a big deal. But what struck me was about a, a little five-minute thing that the lead pastor, Kitten Bashore, did. Um, and he was talking about generosity. And he said, you know, he said, there's really two kinds of people when it comes to generosity. There's people of faith and there's people of unfaith. And he said, listen, and he got up on a board. He said, everybody wants to be at the same place. He said, everybody's at A and they want to be at B over here. A is where you are and B, everybody wants to be safe and secure. College paid for and retirement taken care of and the like. And secondly, everybody wants to be happy. Possessions. We want to have stuff that makes us smile and that we enjoy. And he said significant. In our own eyes and in the eyes of others, we want, we, we want to feel like we've made a, our mark. So everybody's here today and everybody wants to be at B. In his estimation, he said, the people of unfaith what they believe is that it takes 100% of what they make to get to be. It takes 100% of what they make to be safe and secure, to feel happy, and to be significant. He said, on the other hand, he said, there's another group of people, people of faith, and they too are at a... And they also want to be at B. They want to be safe and secure. Things funded and feel like everything's going to be okay. And they, they want to be happy too. They want to have some stuff that they can enjoy. And they want to be significant. As they consider themselves and as others might look at them, they want to make their mark. But they don't believe it takes 100% of what they make to get there. 
they've rather believed that God has, is going to provide for their needs and in obedience to him. They understand that God has given them what he's given them, not only to provide for their needs, but also to be generous and to give to others. And so they give. And so he, he said, maybe it's 90% or maybe it's, it's less, you know, 85%. Maybe it's 80% that they live on so that, because they want to give away the other 10 or whatever it might be. They're walking in faith that it doesn't take 100% of what I make to feel safe and secure, to be happy and significant. And then he said, what these, this group of people have found is that they not only get to be, but they also get to see. And he called that the place of blessing. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And then he made this point. I thought it was pretty funny. So he said, you got this group of unfaith, takes 100% of what I make to get to be. And then you've got this group of people of faith that it doesn't take 100% to get to be. And both groups, he said, think the other group is crazy. The group of unfaith thinks the people of faith are absolutely crazy. You are crazy to be giving away money like that. That's just absolutely stupid. To just funnel money away when you've got so many other things that you've got to take care of. We've got to be happy. We've got to be safe. We've got to, we've got to be significant. You are crazy. And of course, those who, who walk in faith related to this think this group is crazy. You have no idea. You have no idea what it's like to trust God and see him come through and the experience, not only of safety and security and happiness and significance, but of blessing. This group thinks they're crazy, and this group thinks they're crazy. And he said, hey, what you and I have to do is just figure out which kind of crazy are we going to be? Which kind of crazy are you going to be? Generosity in the scriptures is not what God, the church, can get from you. It's a, it's a profound for you. Proverbs 22, he who is generous will be blessed. 1 Timothy 6, instruct the rich to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This summer, or this Christmas, if if your heart is tended towards sadness or sorrow for whatever reason, I hope even in the midst of that, you'll also find joy. And if you find yourself indifferent this time of year, maybe even tired of all, I hope in the midst of that, you'll experience the wonder of God becoming a man for us and for our salvation. 
And if you find yourself ungenerous, be generous with your gift giving, with your time, maybe more than your gift giving, with your finances to Redeemer Community Church, but to the missionaries and to the ministries that you love to support. Christmas creates joy, it creates wonder, it creates generosity. When by the grace of God, he gives us eyes to see. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the gift of your son. Apart from him, we have no hope. We would have no joy. There would be no sense of enchantment with the world apart from him. And we would be stuck in on ourselves. Because of him and because of what he has done, joy, wonder, and generosity. Help us to see these things these days. Open the eyes of our heart to see the greatness and the goodness, the glory and the grace of our God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, if there are any here this morning who've never experienced him and the forgiveness that he brings and the life change that he brings. Might you open their hearts right now to take hold of Jesus. As Savior and as Lord. We'll pray this in the strong and the mighty and the loving and the kind and the truthful and the grace-filled name of Jesus Christ. Amen.